0: Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh.
1: I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. We are all D&D role players and storytellers at heart. It's where we started out, and it's where we find ourselves most at home. So here in our main podcast episodes, we discuss the core rules, how to use them as written, and how to homebrew your own content to get the most out of your story. Because detailed settings, heroic characters... Vibrant NPCs and a focus on story over rules is what makes a campaign legendary.
0: Here's a message from friends of the show. Hey, Joe here from Dads with Nerdy Ambitions podcast. Have you ever thought to yourself, man, I wish there was a podcast out there where the hosts have a hard time staying on topic and rely on their guests to carry the show?
2: Well, then I have the thing for you. Come listen to me and my brother, Steve, talk about all things nerdy every week on the DNA podcast. But we know it's not just a
0: hobby, it's hereditary. Welcome everybody to today's episode. We are going to be continuing our little mini series of episodes talking all about fabrication and the physical things that we'll be quickly looking into as our games return to the physical meat space where we are going to need maps and figs and scenery and everything like that. So today we've got another special guest on the Tabletop Journeys podcast. We want to introduce you to Steve Pugh from the dads with nerdy ambitions podcast. Steve, welcome to Tabletop Journeys.
2: Hey, uh, first off, I want to say thank you so much for having me on the show today. Uh, It's really nice being on a podcast where I don't have to edit it. So that's really, really, really <laughs> yeah, nice. So yeah. I'm excited about that. Great to be here. Thank yeah. you so much. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I mean, that is definitely the conceit about podcasting. That Podcasting is a million
0: pounds of fun every single podcast. But boy, it editing takes a lot longer than you ever think it's going to. So much time spent on editing. <laughs> but ostensibly, what we have brought you on today, Steve, to talk about is phase lots of questions about figs but so you are apparently as Luwanika was saying some sort of fig painting wunderkind so tell me about your history there
2: yeah so before i started doing my own personal podcast i actually was a commission painter i did a lot of painting for tabletop shops private sectors for people and just all around just as a venter for me it was my go-to therapeutic thing uh, was painting I've been doing it for about 10 years now. It's a blast. It Different types of art. You're definitely going to suck in the beginning is the best advice I can tell you. But as you go on, you just keep trying and looking up stuff and different things. It's, it's a great hobby to get into.
1: So you're one of the folks that are out there painting these amazing things that sit in the glass cases at all of our various local shops that we'll see. And we're like, man, that is gorgeous. And you're looking at this great thing in this box that's over here on the wall. And you're like that. I'm like, I'm selling out the extra 20, <laughs> you know, for our European friends, I'm selling out the extra 20 euros, whatever. You know, it, it's just one of those things. Like, there's absolutely no way I'm painting it like that. But when you first showed me, because we met each other on one of four billion different Facebook groups. So there's a couple different things that we share and we were talking, and then I found out you did a podcast. We are doing a podcast. We actually started within weeks of each other. And then at one point, you're like, oh, check out these figs I just did. And I'm like, damn. Like, well, hey, we had already mentioned at some point we've got a collab at some point. Then I saw those figs, and I immediately went back to our next production meetings. Like, at some point, we're going to do something with uh, painting figs, and I know exactly who our guest is going to be. And that was like months ago. And it was like, it was just fabulous stuff. Um, I love figs. We had a guest on not too long ago who talked about how he uses figs. He's also a fantastic painter as well, but how he uses armies and individual figs and, and encourages role play through them uh, and all that. But what we really wanted to do today was just really get into the nitty gritty. Talk about the the tools, the tips, the techniques, all that kind of thing. Um, you said you started about 10 years ago or so, but like What were some of the first techniques or tools or even for that matter, what were the brands of things that you started painting? Like what was your favorite brand name that you went to? Like, were you a Reaper guy? Were you a Ralph Potha guy? I'm a big old school Ralph Potha guy from the nineties. They're not necessarily in vogue now, but that's where I originally went.
2: I'm going to shock you here. So the first thing that I recommend to people is, Patience, learning patience is the number one key to doing any type of painting, whether it's one singular figure, if it's a and d figure, or if it's something ginormous or an entire army. Building that patience and that tenacity to accomplish your goal is the best advice I can give anybody. My first figures that I actually painted were Games Workshop figures. So this is actually going to be a, a, a little bit of a sentimental moment for, and I've actually never shared this on a podcast before. So the reason I got into painting, my first wife was diagnosed with breast cancer and I was extremely stressed out to the point where I didn't know what to do with myself. A great place Sarge's comics. I knew the guys over there and they said, Hey dude, you need to calm down. You, you, you can't control this. Here's some figures. Here's some paint and go paint. And I'm like, this is dumb. I don't want to do this. And they gave me just a bunch of random paints. I don't even remember what they all were. I know there's some G-Dubs. I know there were some Reapers. I know there's some P3 paints in there. They gave me a bunch of brushes and a set of Space Marines was the miniatures. And they said, paint. And so I did. And the focus it takes to paint these miniatures was it was therapeutic for me and it helped de-stress me. And it helped me with this situation and it, it was it was great it's it's such a amazing thing to get into to help you or it, especially just to focus on stuff looking back now into where i am as in my painting it's one thing you really have to take out of it like i said patience is your number one thing that you have to learn it's going to take you forever you have to accept that your model is always going to be ugly until you're finished if you accept the fact that it's an ugly model until you're 100 percent done you're going to be okay with it you're going to make mistakes and you can always cover it my preferred paints to use i do like the gw paints but i definitely dabble all around when you're doing a model i like to give it a like a base coat Uh, like how 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 deep do you want me to break this down with this like technique i can go all the way to the core baby here
1: so Secretly, I'm asking you, Master Yoda, to school me in the ways of the Jedi painters.
2: So we'll take a basic figure. Let's say we're using, let's go with a and d Wizard's figures right here, right? So even though they come primed, I like to prime them with my own personal spray paints. Now, it, it can be anything. I've used Rust-Oleum. I use their flat blacks. It works just fine. You don't have to spend a billion dollars on, on your primers. I have Citadel. I have... Warhammer forty k primers they work great. There's certain colors I like to use from them. However, go to Walmart and get your four ninety nine. If if it's if you're going to cover it, don't freak out about it. Blacks are your best friends. Black is always your best friend because if you make a mistake or you even miss a spot, you don't have to worry about it because it's black. You can just say it's shadow. That's the greatest thing about it. Then looking at your your base coats. So. With your model, let's say you want brown pants, you want a red shirt, what paint works best for you? You have to get a feel for it. Reaper paints are great. Alejos are great. P3s are great. G-Dubs, Citadels. I use a mix. However, there's different thicknesses and certain colors I prefer from others. P3 has a dark gold called Blighted Gold. It is such an amazing paint to use as a base coat, as a dry brush, as a highlighter, that it, it it's so versatile that I can't find another color like it that I would prefer to use. Then after you've done your your base coats, looking at it from there, going, okay, I like to add a wash. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with what a wash is, it's a very watered down paint. So usually what I do, if you're making your own, I like to do three to one, three drops of water to one drop of whatever color I'm using. That just makes it You can always go back and add more. That's the thing that I tell people is if it doesn't look like you have enough on there, don't freak out, let it dry, do another round. Because it's harder to take it off, which is still possible, but, it's easier to just add more and more layers That's always
0: to it. where I go wrong is you talked about patience and that is the number one thing that I mess up every single time is like not letting layers dry in between applications. Cause there are some things that you can get away with and some things that you can't, but like, there's got, there's some, there comes a time where it's like, you know, you can't, you got to wait for your black base for your black underneath to, to dry before you start applying, you know, any color, like white or blue, because otherwise it's going to bleed together and it's all going to get, it's all going to get mishy. And that, that's been, that has honestly been the number one thing. Like I am not in any way, shape, nor form an expert painter. And I'm just really lucky that I'm really busy all the time. So like, sometimes I am like, okay, I've got like half an hour. I can get one layer. I can get the base layer done. And then I'm going to have to leave it for three days because I got to work, you know, that kind of thing. And so, you know, like, that's honestly like the best thing. That's one of the best pieces of advice I think that you can give and they're spot on
2: so for situations like that, where you're like, okay, I want to let this dry or, and I want to do something else. If you have that ADD for it, you're like, I want to go ahead and paint this, right? What I usually try to tell people is if you're doing an army or if you're doing a bunch of models, build one base paint, uh, base prime it, then go to another one and start building it. By the time you're done building that next model, your other one is already dried and ready to go. So then you can legitimately assembly line, paint these models and do these models and to we're to the point where you get in the whole army done or you get an entire campaigns worth for, you know, whatever you're doing models done in no time. And it doesn't feel like you're rushing yourself, nor does it feel like, You're not doing the best that you could possibly do. If you're just doing one model, then yeah, you kind of got to find something else to do. Go play a video game. Phasmophobia. I highly recommend it.
0: it, it, It's it's even worse because one of the things that I've been doing a lot lately is I've been getting into like 3D printing and then making making figs and making models with like with Sculpey and with everything like that too. And so it's like now you're dealing with multiple things that need to like you've got to wait for the actual thing to print itself, and then you've got you've got to you know you got to treat the print and you got to make sure because it's mostly resin printing, so you got to. make sure that it re- that it cures properly because otherwise like if the plastic is still bendy then it might break off as you're painting it and all that all that stuff you know and then when you get the sculpey you got to wait for you got to make sure the is in the right proportions and you got to make sure that it dries properly before you start to paint it otherwise the paint's just going to flake off and you know like all these all these various things that for somebody with painting add like i have are just like murderous to go ahead and have to wait through like it's ab- it's awful yeah
2: so so doing doing a technique like that where you're doing multiple models Get, get something complex. I don't know what games you're into. I mean, I'm sure you're like me. You're a connoisseur of the nerdy arts. But getting a complex model and working on that, like getting a one that's going to take you some time. Case in point right now, I'm working on the Satanshar, the, the Void Dragon for my Necron army. That is a beast and a half to build. It is very thin pieces. So that takes me time. So while I'm working on that one, I'm base painting and letting other stuff dry. Now I've gotten to the point now where I can build and fully paint a model now uh, better than tabletop quality i I consider it a decent quality within two hours but that's just because you know i have that muscle memory now for a regular person you know if that's not feasible for everybody so you just got to figure out what works best for you and then you know knowing what kind of techniques you want to do like i said i got to the wash right there with in my imaginary model in my head but airbrushing is another technique that people use i don't personally use it as much i have a great friend who uses it. I definitely go to him and give him a shout out for this. Uh, He's got a a business called My Apocalyptic Playground and he is a hardcore airbrush painter. His name's Kwame and he does phenomenal jobs. In fact, he did this. I know this is a podcast, but you guys get to see this. He airbrushed this entire night for me and did all the custom designs for me. I did the base because I'm really good. Okay. So that's
0: pretty incredible. You got to get us a picture of that and we'll put it in the show notes.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you the I've done wings for Magnus the Red, uh, but I did him like Magnus Technicolor, so he's like rainbow wings and everything is pretty good. But going back to giving you the advice on how to paint your model after you're doing a wash, it's it, that's washes is what brings in the the nice detail for your models it's it's the perfect thing, and then going into adding your highlights, which are in dry brushing, which is just highlighting dry brushing is just taking your your a brush. I like to use a little bit of a coarser one and rubbing it on a paper towel and till there's almost no paint left on it and then just s- start doing the brush strokes before you get to the actual model and then to where you get that nice pattern on and as you get closer you're touching it you're starting to kiss the model and eventually you'll find that sweet spot that you like and it's going to add that detail the washes and the dry brushing are going to what makes your model it's really what brings out the detail depending on what you want to do i like to use colors that are close but almost a contrast so if i'm using reds i like to use oranges to bring it up. if i'm using greens i like to use blues as the the and vice versa because it's similar enough but it pops the model out and it does change up how it's going to look
0: and is it true that again who knows kind of like what the, what the fig experience of the people listening to this. I know what my fig experience is and that's poor. Uh, so so is it true that with like dry brushing, you want like a lighter color to go ahead and kind of bring out bright highlights from the base model versus inking or washing, which you're looking for darker because it's going to settle into the cracks and stuff like
2: that. Now, here's the thing. If you're not really good at doing washes or inkings, there are companies out there that make these solutions and these paints that you can buy. GW does a ton of them. P3, everybody does them. Well, they have contrast and they have wash, which are, they're, they're artisan the bottles. They're great. And they have ones that are lighter. But yes, typically you want a darker color to sink into the crevices and you want a lighter color on the highlights. However, it depends on typically what you're doing for model. Uh, even getting into more advanced stuff like object source lighting, is also a thing, but yes, you definitely want to have your highlights lighter.
1: So my experience with what I consider to be the best fig I ever painted, and sorry to say I have lost it to 14 billion moves over the years. I painted this beautiful fig. He was a knight from Realm of Greyhide in Alanis, the game we've talked about on the podcast. And I had, it took me a long time. I found this brilliant really silvery platinum style paint. So the base coat was this gorgeous metal. And these nights are green foresty type things. So I had a emerald green wash from Citadel and I painted that over it and it settled perfectly. I had no idea. And to this day, I've never dry brushed in my life. So I, did, I never got that last step, but I remember that by the time this ink wash was done, it looked like the character was wearing green metal. And it actually had a neat shimmer Josh, You may have even seen that thing when I first did And it, it was brilliant. I loved that. It was a great fig. It was posed. I believe that was a Ralpatha actual metal fig at that point. They had not been doing plastic figs at the time. And I loved it. It was like I was like, I will never paint better than this. Not gonna happen. A couple years later, I actually did a same character. Some weird thing happened. Became an elf. And so I had a new, new fit, new pose, new armor, and this was all white armor. And I didn't do a wash. I think it had some weird off-white bonish color thing that went on top of. I just used a straight bright white. And it came. I think if I had airbrush, it might have even been better. But I remember painting that, and that those two figs, same character, were probably the best two figs I ever painted
0: that's the kind of magic that we're hoping to capture when we're talking about figs. Like that's like every once in a while, there's that one fig that you just like, Oh man, you know, I really, at least for me, because again, uh, not being a great painter, it's like when we capture those moments, it's like, okay, so how the hell did I actually do this? And so like, I'm going to even go ask for like further kind of details in what you were talking about here, Steve. So like we were talking about even like brush choices and you said that for like, you're highlighting, you're talking about you like rougher brushes and stuff like that. So If I am looking at my collection of brushes, how do I know which one's the rough one?
2: And I know it sounds super simple, right? It's it's really not. And there's no good answer. It's kind of like golf. You get a bunch of variety of different brushes. You get a bunch of different variety of clubs. And you've got to find what works best for you. The techniques and ethics that I use when it comes to my paintbrushes are completely different from a lot of people. You have to find out what feels best to you. And, and you don't have to buy the $5,000 paint brushes. I never recommend people buy the most expensive things. Why? Because you're going to destroy it right off the bat, especially since you don't know exactly what you're good at, what your skills are at. Go cheap. Go cheap. Why? Because if you screw up something, oh, well, well, it was cost me five bucks. I'll live. But get a variety palette of brushes. I don't use them the way that I think they're typically designed to use. I'm not going to lie. I've used the same paintbrush for my dry brushing for my base coating, for my painting and for my detailing. So there's, there is no good answer to that, which is, I know it's frustrating. You have to find out what's best for you. And the only way you can do that is by trial and error. Unfortunately, like I said, I would recommend getting the variety pack. When you're doing your base coats, you want to go for a thicker brush. You want to go for, you know, something that is a layer brush. And and they, they typically have them labeled or they'll have the labels above them What kind of brush is what? And if anything, you can Google it. Then using for dry brushing, you want to kind of use a coarser, shorter tipped brush. And then detailing, obviously, you want to use a fine point. When you get your skills up to where you feel comfortable spending that kind of money, I recommend horsehair brushes. They are absolutely phenomenal. However, synthetics are starting to get to that level. Until then, Amazon. Use Amazon like it's going out of style. Get a bunch of variety of different brushes and feel what's right for you. There are certain brushes that have this, when you're holding them, it's actually a like a triangle kind of stem. I love using those over Citadel brushes, and they cost me 15 bucks for like 30 of them. So yeah, unfortunately, there's no good answer to that. And I think
0: your your point too about kind of like going cheap That was one of those really hard lessons to learn because like, you know, you think like, oh, these brushes are more expensive. They must be better. There is nothing that will chew through your brush tips faster than painting coarse rough plastic over and over and over again and doing like the layers that you've got to do it. Like it'll, it'll destroy your brushes. And so like, you know, people that are paint, painting with like $50 brushes, I was like, I mean, that's you're going to get like a hundred figs out of this thing. Maybe like that's like, you know, the cost of income is not real good on the, on, on, on a figurine brushes. So know where you're spending your money, like sp- spending your money on paints is better than spending your money on brushes. Like it's uh, the, the quality paints. Like I have, I remember when we first kind of started doing this and I went on this, shopping spree of like figs from everywhere. I bought a bunch of figs that, and I had like some really cheap paints and I was like, man, these are just awful. These are like, like the paint wasn't sticking right. It just wasn't, it wasn't the, the paints of the figs weren't jiving. And so finally I switched up paint brands. So I was like, it made all the difference
2: in the world. So that's really part of it. And that's another thing I got to recommend to your listeners, whatever your, your models, your figs that you're painting, look in and see what people recommend as your primer because if you're not certain, plastics whether it be resin or you know your 3D prints or if it's something that you get from a company, their plastics may not accept your paint, your primer. It may just peel off. And I've had that happen. A creature caster is notorious for that. Their their models you have to use a certain primer. And I've used I've used fifty dollar primers and I've used five dollar primers and. I had to go with a. I had to find a variety that actually worked with them because they peeled.
0: It's funny. It was creature where the figs that I'm talking about, like you get like like the big collection of like you get like a hundred figs and you get like I've got like twenty four minotaurs. And, but that was exactly what it was. And using bad paints on them. And the other thing that was really critical with those figs is that they have like a layer on them from I think from their casting process that does not take paint. And I think that is because the the creature the creature figs I think they're divided into like the two colors. You get the white ones and the gray ones, right? And so. So I think they're designed for like to be used as that, as two different sides. They're not really meant to be painted or intended to be. They can be. But you got you to gotta really clean those figs when you get them because otherwise nothing will stick to them. I mean, it's like Teflon. It's crazy. So that's really funny that you mentioned creature though. It's,
2: <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to throw them under the bus. Actually, see, I don't even view it as throwing them under the
1: bus. I look at it as if they've got good figs that we like, then what's the technique that's going to allow us to get what we want out of them? So that, that's not throwing them under the bus. That's saying, know what you're buying, know that there are challenges, and know that a podcast like this with great guests like Steve Pugh, we have solutions for you. You know, that's, that, that's the way I look at it.
2: So here's what usually when it comes to something like that. If you're buying your models from a, a corporate company like Wizards or Games Workshop, or even looking at Privateer Press. Those companies, they've been doing this for a while. Usually, when you're getting their models, you don't have to worry about what kind of paint you have to use. Now, when you're getting it from a company that is a smaller company, such as Creature Caster, or you're doing your own personal 3D printing, the best thing I can tell you is you've got to wash those things in alcohol. Like, you have to let it soak for at least a good minute and then, like, try to brush it off with a toothbrush as much as you possibly can and then let it dry, then do anything. Yeah.
1: So when you say alcohol, because I'm I'm gonna play the role like when we do comic book stuff, when we do comic book stuff, I'm the guy that does that. Uh, when you say alcohol, like
2: are we talking seventy percent? Are we talking eighty percent? Thirty percent. It really doesn't have to anything you can get from CVS. Re- legitimately, that's what I use. I just honestly, what I do, just go ahead and uh, put, get get a little tub like that you can't use for anything else, and just. Put all the models that you plan on painting within the next couple months in there and just spray the water, just squeeze it on there, let them soak in it for a little bit, then pour it out and then just let them dry. Legitimately, it's that simple. You brush them off real quickly. But let's say the, the opposite happens and you buy a bunch of models from somebody that are already painted and you want to repaint them because you just don't like it or you have something and you're like, God, I suck. How can I fix this? Fret not. You can save these models. All you have to do, I tell people to use Simple Green. Make sure you very much dilute it in water. Let them soak overnight. And then take your toothbrush, go over there and scrub it. Now, it's still going to have the sticky film from the uh, Simple Green. Give it a wash in just regular tap water. Then throw it in some alcohol and let it soak in there for another night. And then take it out, give it a brush and let it dry. And you're still going to have paint. You're going to still have residue on it. However, you're going to have... of the detail back on that model, especially if they're like, let's say they're old school metal. Let's say you want to go vintage you're going to be fine and you're going to be able to just give it a quick prime and it's not going to be an issue again but you have to follow those steps because if you just do it in simple green it's going to have this really nasty sticky feel for like per forever so for
0: one quick warning for the resin printers out there so normally when we are um, so when you pull a resin print off the off the printer the first thing that you have to do is you have to bathe it 99% isopropyl alcohol to go ahead and get the excess resin off of there because you don't want that that resin to cure outside of the print right so Uh, I would not recommend necessarily putting a plastic fig in 99% alcohol overnight because you're going to wake up with a puddle probably. So understand the materials that you're working with thing one and that, you know, that you're talking like kind of like in the 30, 40%, you put that thing in 99% alcohol, you don't need to leave it overnight five minutes, 10 minutes is probably plenty to go ahead and get any of the residue off of there. So just understand the materials that you're working with.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, uh, let me clarify that. The the plastic models, I would probably only leave in for maybe five, 10 minutes. Metal models, you can leave in overnight because it's metal.
0: Like how much, uh, so you can buy figs, obviously, and, 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 and those are great to work with. How much sort of, for lack of a better term, like custom fabrication do you do of your figs or, or are you pretty much kind of like in the lane where you're dealing with the figs as they come out of the blister or what?
2: I love to get creative as much as possible. Now, it depends on <laughs> the models. So if I'm getting creative and artistic, I like to go and browse Facebook and various places and buy used and decrepit models. Case in point, I took a Carnifex that I think I paid 30 bucks for. Now the model itself, I think it originally goes for like 45, 50, but I got two of them for like 35 bucks. So like 15 bucks per for one. I cut it in half. And I started putting various organs using green stuff, which is a uh, for your listeners. That's a like a it basically is a molding clay that turns plasticky. It really, turns really hard, and it's it's great for using. So I made a, an anatomy display of a Carnifex cut in half. So I put a bunch of organs and stuff and bones. I, I love it. It was a blast to make.
0: Love using Sculpey and, and green stuff. We, we posted this yeah, it was probably about a month ago when I made that hag plant. That I had, so a friend of mine on Twitter and somebody had been just posting like random nature pictures and found this really weird looking seed pod that looks like it's got eyes in it. So between the 3D printer and some Sculpey, so like I basically like 3D printed the seed pod it's got these red eyes that, that are on it. And then basically, basically the stem is all scopy. It's like, there's a, there's a like hanger wire on the inside, but then it's all, uh, all scoppy and everything like that. And then just kind of like mounted to a panel and put some fletching on it and called it good. And then never touch it because the fletching will flake off every single time you do, right? So, you know, so like that guy- that guy lives in a box and he doesn't come out unless he's going on the table. Right. You know, but like, that's the kind of stuff that like is so cool. And like, kind of like with the, with the technology that we've got right now, like between 3d printing and like, now you can get green stuff and Sculpey relative. They're really easy to find. Like we're, we're in an age where that like 20 years ago, that was
2: much less possible than it is now. And Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and, and not to knock, 3D printing. I love 3D printing. I have my own resin printer. But for the average person, you really need to determine whether or not it's cost effective for you. That is definitely a thing because what you're spending on your model plus time plus power everything it it can be more expensive and not worth it. However, if you're doing something that where you're like, you know what, I know I'm going to get my use out of this printer. I strongly recommend them. I use mine religiously. Yeah.
0: Terrain, fabulous to make on the 3D printer. Figs, less cost-effective, I have found. Like that's, you know, if you're making like, I need to make, you know, 500 miles of brick wall, you know, and so like you can just like churn it out on the 3D printer, like then then that's really cost-effective, but you're absolutely right. Like, you know, if you're
2: printing like one fig, it's like, okay, well, there's there's a lot of time and energy that goes into this. Yeah. So we were sponsored by the Eldritch Foundry. And so they can make your model or they can give you the STL it takes about three to four weeks uh, average for somebody send them. So if you want that model for tomorrow, resin printer is as a godsend and it takes about three hours. So, uh, but I digress. That's, that's a whole different subject. I'm sure for you guys.
1: Interesting. You bring that up because one of our next guests in this series is going to be from the 3d printer genre. And he's going to talk specifically about terrain. Those are the guys at world's overrun. Full disclosure, I've been working with the guys at World's Overrun for the last two to three years. I've statted some monsters for them, for creatures they've created. I've written a few side adventures for them as well. So uh, they are people that I'm very familiar with. They're going to be on and talk about a lot about the 3D printer realm on the creation side, like how do you make the files, that type of thing, and then the things that go into it. So we actually are right with you, like we're right online that, you know, 3D printing it's it's a great tool to add to the collective toolbox. Yeah, love the guys greatly, and when they're talking about it, their passion for the projects is awesome, which is why they're going to be on here. Sometimes in the meeting, when they're going into the programming piece of it, I'm like, <laughs> for those of you listening to the sound of my voice, that wasn't a dead air on the mic. That was my eyes fluttering as I as I have no idea what's going on.
2: Oh, so one other crucial uh, thing I would say for your when you're painting your models, don't forget the base. The base is what's going to tell your story for your model. And it, even just putting a couple layers of some various colors, it's going to bring out your model so much that I can't emphasize enough on it. If you can spend, put them 50 bucks, which is, I know it seems like a lot, but you're going to get your use out of it for a bunch of models. Getting like fluff and train supplies is so worth it. It, it. Even if it's just sand, like you can paint sand. I painted and I've washed sands before and it doesn't look like sand anymore, but it adds so much volume to your models that it, it, it's, it's almost like doing a wash and highlights at that point. It, it creates that story and brings it more authentic to it.
0: it adds that kind of characteristic to the base. So it doesn't just look like they're standing on like a green piece of plastic or whatever, you know, it's like that they're actually standing like in grass or on a rock
2: or whatever, you know, like that, those kind of details are really, really of interest to the fig that you're looking at. I strongly encourage it, especially so for my D and D players, if you are doing a campaign, let's say you're doing Icewind Dale, look at techniques for doing ice. If you can't do the ice, at least get some sand on there. I tell people to do a white base paint then do sand on it, glue the sand, let it dry. And then just when it starts dry, tab it with like a toothpick to like make mounds and then just paint it white again. And then just do like a a gray wash over it. You're going to get like you're in a tundra terrain. And it's so simple. It really is. It's so simple, but it brings that much more volume to it. And then when you get into your campaign and you put down your figure and you're starting to walk through Icewind Dale, you're going, man, I'm much more into this story now because of that base and because that model's painted. Having a painted models, even for whatever type of game you're playing, brings so much more to the game. I almost don't like it when people play with gray models. Now, I ganted that not everybody's a great painter, and that's okay, but you know, putting what I call TTQ, tabletop quality models, right? It's putting a couple colors on there. Even if you're not good, it's going to add that much more to your game you're going to enjoy it that much more especially when you're paying against somebody case in point my tier nids, i had a variety of colors because i got bored with how i wanted to paint my schemes but all my models were painted and people would go oh my god i love that model right there how did you do that you get so much more conversation the game becomes so much more personable regardless if it's one model if it's a hundred having that it's going to you get so much more conversation you build more of a bond with whoever you're playing with it's just a blast.
1: As a segue, I was going to get into this for those of us who are not great painters, and I'm going to show those I'm sharing this podcast with uh, briefly. My corner, shape There is a grand total of one figure painted on on that wall, and I bought that like that. that it's it's a shameful display, but I'm rebuilding my paint collection, and until I get enough paints to get started, those minuscule five paints. Over there, on the, that's what I have
2: right Actually, now. Actually, you bring up a good point that I'm going to segue off of right there. If you are getting into painting, there are lots of companies out there that have your starter kits. Get them because 90% you're going to use. There's going to be a couple that you're not. However, it builds that collection for you and you get them at a discounted price. And it even throws in a couple of brushes usually.
1: So, my holiday gift giving, and when we do our our two thousand twenty one holiday episode where we talk about all the gifts that gamers really want, I'm definitely going to be researching a couple great starter paint set packs, hoping that my family will listen to our podcast in time for the holiday. To be fair, my wife and my daughter did. I actually got a couple of things off the podcast off that episode, so which was awesome. But this year I'm putting paints on it. Those four colors are because they're they're very specific that are not in gift packs. And so I'm picking up the things that I expect to be using on some of the things that I have. So I'm actually building up the specialty paints and then I'm going to be getting that and I'm waiting for, and then I'm going to get started. My that's I've made my pre 2022 resolution is to really get on painting. So I'm going to use this whole year to, to get all my paints in place and then kind of get
2: started with it. I like that you're building a year list, but you're making it too big. You're making it too long. And it's, this is a mistake that a lot of people do. They'll be like, okay, this year, I'm going to paint my entire army. Don't do that. That's too big. It, one, it's going to take you too long. You're not going to do it. I 100% guarantee you won't do it. If you can do a weekly or biweekly, I recommend it. But do a monthly. At a minimum, do a month. And say, okay, in a month, I want to paint X models. Start with Five. That's actually a larger number, starting with five. And you're going, What, five models? No, trust me, five models in a month is a lot. However, let's say you only get three of them done. Okay. So next month, I'm going for four models. By the end of the year, your entire army will be painted or your campaign, that whatever you're doing will be painted because you're setting those small numbers. I love using GW models as a reference because it's such a broad spectrum. You have your Space Marine Army, you go, Okay. I have this unit of 10 space Marines. I want to get this painted in two months. So I'll divide it in five. I have five here, five here. My team is blood angels. So I know my color scheme. It's red, which is really easy. It's black. And then there's a little bit of metal colors. I want them to be on a desert terrain. All right. Well, I want to use brown and I want to use some sand. You have your idea, you have your mission set before you, and it's so much easier to set it up and to actually do what you want to do. That by the time you get done, it may not even take you a year, depending on how big your army is. You might be able to get it done in a couple months. You might be like, okay, I did five and I was able to get it done. Well, push yourself, do six. Just do it one extra model. And you're going to see such a huge change in what you can get done it's going to be mind boggling and you're going to have that full army. And then you're going to be the guy at the other end of the table, looking at them going, yeah, this is what a full painted army looks like. You were talking about wanting to get gift sets of paints. I love GW products. I really do. They're a little pricey, but you get your money's worth out of it. I think getting the intro sets with it, where it comes with like five, six paints set for a, like the Necrons and the space Marines, I think are their go-through. Like they had death guard for a while. Getting those are legitimately the best thing you can do because it gives you how to do these it gives you a step by step with what those paints are. You again, you may not use them, but
1: uh, I actually need the necrons because I actually have a necron squad that I have. I actually have all the legs and bodies and heads on them, but I have yet to get all the arms and weapons on them yet. But
2: I I'm 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 like part, part way there. So Rust Oleum, whatever metal you want to do is your godsend. Legitimately, most Necrons, when I'm doing them, I do whatever color metal I want them to do, whatever alloy. I do them in the Rust-Oleum, and then I take a a wash, usually a brown wash to them because brown typically works better than black. And you're half your model's done. Then you just go and do the eyes, add in the whatever laser colors you want, and then you do your base. It's cupcake. You can pop those out. If you're, say, let's say for you personally, say you're doing your Necrons, I would strongly recommend saying, okay, in a month, your goal is a unit a month. So you can get 10 Necron Destroyers. You can get whatever your Scarabs done in like no time, especially when you set them like that. Setting those goals are the most crucial thing that I can recommend to anybody.
0: you mentioned you, you're doing a lot of like the, your Space Marine figs and everything like that. One of the things that I loved about the those old style Warhammer figs was the customization that you could do. You'd get like this big bin of individual pieces and you like, okay, I need to pick a face. I need to pick a body. I need to pick two arms set of legs and then glue them all together and make them. And that is something that That I think is harder to find nowadays, uh, at least to find those compartmentalized figs. Like if you're going to like WizKids or anything like that, like you're getting pre-made figs and they're kind of in one pose and they're everything like that. What do you have for sources for someone like me that enjoy doing that, but can't really find that stuff anymore? Because like bits are getting
2: harder and harder to find. Where's your go-to? Facebook always facebook i legitimately i'm i'm a little blessed here because i do commissions and typically when people send me the whole models the the whole box they go i go hey what do you want to do with this all this extra stuff and they go yeah keep it so i have buckets of stuff to which i i'll go back there and i'm like oh i have this i forgot totally forgot about this i'm making a jagatai Khan out of reboot gilliman and a wraith knight So I'm using and then I'm because in the lore, he goes into the Webway portals. And so I'm giving him Eldari armor, but it's going to be made out of a Wraith Knight. And I've got to do some customization because, you know, it's with some dry uh, with some green stuff. But honestly, go to to, to talk to your local hobby shops, see if they have junk bits. Some places do sell them in little containers. If not, talk to your friends, go to your, your the people that you play with. And be like, hey, you know, you play Space Marines, I play Necrons. I want to do some customizations where a Necron is or orcs, people who are orc players are bits hoarders. They have tons of bits because they do kit bashing all the time. I guarantee it, your orc player at, at any place that you'd go to is going to have stuff you want to do. If not, go to Facebook, go into these trade sites and be like, hey, man, I'm looking for a bunch of beaten to death space marines or orcs or whatever, whatever your army you're playing or stuff and going, what can you give me at a dirt cheap price? And you'll, you'll find somebody that has a tons of bits that is just trying to get them off their hands because they take up space.
0: It has a bucket that their partner has been complaining about in the basement for six months. That's full of space marine arms. Yeah.
2: You can <laughs> typically, typically I'd say you can get an actual bucket's worth for about 50 bucks and that should state you for a good minute. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I've
0: got like one more question and it's uh, I, you you were mentioning airbrushing and so I kind of want to get into I know you said you don't do airbrushing but I want to kind of get into like why you don't I, I, I dabble Okay. but before I get into my last question Leunika do you have any other questions or or
1: that was actually where I was going to go I was going to say I I'm, I know it happens I actually have a standing future date conversation meeting with the guys at World's Overrun because he has this neat setup for airbrushing that he's going to show me about it and how it works. And we're going to do some things at some point. So that's something I want to learn just because I want to, I love this hobby and I like talking with smart people about cool things. And I just want to, I love learning about things that impact the hobby because you're absolutely correct. I don't play Warhammer regularly. I have Necrons because of a separate reason. I basically it was a cheap way for me to make Terminators when I was playing a Palladium game. And then I also thought, because I was doing a Palladium Dead Rain game, that if I painted them white in some fashion, they'd look like regular skeletons. And that way I could get them posed in cool ways that I couldn't do by going out and buying random skeletons. So I literally had this squad, like eight to 10 hero skeletons versus some random nebulous bunch of either skinny minis or other things to represent the zombie horde and i thought that would look cool on a table that was kind of where i was going with but i want to learn different techniques and learn different things i loved going to tables where warhammer is being played and just being amazed one at the terrain and two at the quality of the army it's one of our good friends benito he plays a lot of warhammer and he had a tyranid army that i remember other warhammer players were terrified like he had all kinds of armies. And if he came to the store and he was going to play Warhammer, I remember people, somebody saying at one of the shops, like, my God, I hope it's not the Nids. Just don't let it be the Nids. Oh,
2: they're, they're vicious. If you play them right, they're an evil. And he had this, I have no idea what it was, but it was
1: gigantic. Audience, my hands are about chest width apart. We keep it
0: in rifle cases and so like you know so he'd get like a three and a half foot rifle case and it had his face in it he was just like sl- like lifted up onto the table and then he'd start deploying and he would deploy and oh, he
2: was a swarm player and
0: and I'm, and I'm, I'm telling you like I, we watched it it was amazing like, people would come and they'd be like oh shit I'm, I drew Benito like I don't want to I don't want to and he'd bring it he'd bring up the game real slow like because he's like you know we 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 love Ben to death and he's like he's like tall and spindly and just kind of like bringing it up it's like drop oh, it was and people were like oh
1: man and then he'd go to the car and he had this weird this this weird bag with like all the foam in it and he'd take it out and he'd take out this giant thing it looked like almost like a zentradi warship but it was this alien creature and it was huge on the table so all that to say i did want to go ahead and pick your pick your brain about airbrushing
0: i bought the airbrush kit to go ahead and start doing it right I, i i you know and and I just could never get it to work right, and so there's that question too about like, okay, so what am I, what am I do, what am I probably doing
2: wrong? First of all, you're probably making it too thick. You do you have to use certain paints. So he, here's the thing about airbrushing: you got to be careful with it because you can waste a lot of paint, a lot of paint doing this. So what you want to do, you want to make sure you're using proper style paints. Do your research here, and you can use paints like that. Case in point, going with GW, you can use Citadel's. I don't necessarily recommend it unless you're using their specific ones, what they call air paints, because it's the colors that you're getting, the grains in, that are in there are too thick. So it's not going to go through your brush. So you're probably getting a lot of where you start spraying for a second, you get a really good feathering, and then all of a sudden it just starts. That's because it's too thick. So you need to work on the, the. I do what a one-to-one ratio for that. That's how much I try to dilute it, if not two drops of water for per one because it really is thick. Uh Vallejo's and Reapers work really good. Their paints I don't I stay away from P3 in this situation because it's way too thick. But it's that's what you're happening is you're getting it too thick in there.
0: Okay. I do love my my Vallejo primer. Like Vallejo primer is absolutely my go-to. So
2: that's The other problem is it I tell people is you got to be careful what you're doing. If you're doing small little models, it's not always the best thing. Do the grind. Do the grind because you're going to kill so much paint not doing the grind trying to just do that misting and while it looks really good it doesn't always bode well on the miniature you save it for the larger ones going from there okay i want to learn how to airbrush you want to make sure you're doing the proper angles do the research watch the videos i can sit here and explain how to do it but you it's it's a visual thing that you need to actually see my boy kwame who is the one that taught me how to airbrush He sat down with me. He did that. You know, we did that scene in Ghost where he was kind of behind me, put his arms on me and everything. But no, he he sat down literally beside me. He's like, okay, you need to learn to angle it. You need to do basically, if it's, imagine it's sunlight and spray that way, where is it going to hit? And that's, that's how I learned. But it's, it is a, it's a beast and a half technique. Uh, It's not for everybody. Give it a shot if it, but make sure you're willing to spend the money in that. You want to make sure you get yourself a quality airbrush. A sprayer, you don't want to go cheap out on this. Badger is a phenomenal airbrush. Your compressor, it you know, LP air compressor, it doesn't matter. But make sure you have ventilation. Make sure you have a quality one. You're going to be putting down at least two hundred dollars for a proper airbrush, and then have all the equipment to go with it. That might be part of my problem too, because I did not put two hundred dollars down on a quality airbrush. I will say that much. So
0: that's yeah, no, yeah. no,
2: it's, it's 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 a beast and a half. Cool. Cool. I'm glad I could educate you guys. Yeah, Uh, no, (laughs) that's fabulous. So...
0: Well, Steve, we really thank you so very much for for coming on on the show. This has been fabulous. I, I hope that for everybody listening, this has been half as informative as it has been for us. Because for for two guys that have been doing this for a really really long time, we are crappy painters. And so really, your words of encouragement and just the the whole feeling that um you know the hundreds of figs that I have not painted in my workshop are just kind of sitting there like, please prime me, please just you know just a little primer, I'll be fine. It makes me feel good that you also have that same wall, although we can't see it here on video. So yeah, yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I'm- not alone in that please here's your moment tell us how we can go ahead and hear more of uh hear hear more of your genius please That's, you know
2: yeah, you can find me anywhere that you guys listen to podcasts. I'm on, you know, I always ask people if you're on Audible or Apple, please remember to rate and review. Uh, we're on Instagram and Facebook at DNA pod on Twitter at nerd pod. And occasionally I'm on Twitch and which is where I'm going to be posting a lot of our videos as well as in our Patreon at nerd podcasts do all sorts of stuff. So, yeah,
1: if I can cut in, I just want to say I've been following their pod for a while. You are constant partners on my car ride to work. So listen to you guys, listen to your guests, talk about the various shows, talk about the hobby in general, the, the, the games that we play, the games we, we all love and just all the nerdy things, all the nerdy
2: things. There's a lot of them out there. We live in that, we live in that golden culture of it. Uh, it's, it's,
1: it's amazing. Like we are so blessed. Like I know growing up, it was hide your geekness to get through life. Right. Like you owned it, and when you saw somebody else, and you got like some secret, oh, they're a geek too. It's cool, you know. Like I, the one of the local banks I go to, I realized a couple months ago that the uh, one of the tellers was was a closeted geek because he had a shield tie pin, and I'm like, you're one of us, and you know. So then I start wearing my TTW, my TTJ swag, and I and I, and I start wearing my superhero t-shirts whenever I go into the bank on a Saturday. And it's like, yes. And then before long, when I have the conversations with them and we're catching up about whatever the, the current show was, the bank manager would come on over and join the conversation. And then one of the other tellers would come on over and join the conversation. So we live in a world where we can do those things, and just like meeting you several months ago, you know it's wonderful that we get to do this kind of thing. And, and so,
2: my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Truly, truly, anytime. I I love to talk, and if anything, I love to hear the sound of my voice. <laughs> we, we will we will definitely take a take you up on that. We love having awesome people on the
0: show to talk about cool things, even under the auspices of doing a podcast. Like that's like the best thing that the podcast has done is allowed us this platform to uh, to have conversations just like this. So, all right. Steve Pugh from the Dads with Nerdy Ambitions podcast. If there is anything that you can take from this, it, it's the podcast that podcasters listen to. So that's you know, uh, if uh, there's no uh, hopefully no bigger endorsement that we can give than that. But uh, seriously, Steve, fabulous time! Thank you so very much for uh, for coming on.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, it was great, appreciate it.
0: All right, and uh, for everybody out there listening, we will talk to you again next time. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast.
1: And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our SideQuest series, where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop oriented thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community and in the words of another traveler on our path we bid you shade and sweet water